Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondercheck, head coach of Top Step Training, and I'm joined by Marilyn. Hello. Hey, how's it going? I'm Marilyn Chakota with uh, Marilyn Chakota Coaching. You can find everything on me at mcc.coach. Happy to be here with you today, Jesse. Yeah. Um, so saw you at the pool this morning, a little <laughs> after 5 a.m. Yeah. We're all really excited to be there. Uh, so I guess it seems like it's 100% official that you've started triathlon training now, right? Yeah, I... Uh... I, I have a few of my athletes that convinced me to do a half Ironman in the spring. So I was like, dang, I better get my ass in gear and start swimming and running a little bit more structured. And um, yeah, so I've been doing the doing triathloning uh, training again, which has been really fun. And, you know, I forget how good you feel when you do all three sports, like the couple of years that I was just riding the bike a lot. You just feel so beat up all the time when you do single sport. And then when you like triathlon's so nice for our bodies, like you feel so well balanced and healthy and feel good. And like, just when you get too sore from one thing, you get to do something else. And even mentally, like, even when you like just start to get a little sour on one thing, you're like, oh, it's okay. Cause I get to run tomorrow, you know? So it's, I, you know, we all love the sport for a reason, but so uh, yeah, it's, it's been really cool. It's been fun. Awesome. That is good to hear. Good to hear you're kind of back in the mix and enjoying all three sports again. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got Ironman Arizona, right? I do, yeah. Um, and I'm actually going to do Waco 70.3 in, I guess, like a week and a half when this comes out. So got another another race coming up quick. Um, my first real 70.3 of the year, which is kind of weird because it's October. Um, so I'm excited to see how that goes. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it'll be fun though. Um, the family's going to go with me too. So that'll be a, a fun trip out to Waco. Wow. Yeah. Are you flying or driving? We are flying. I oh, was originally cool. going to drive, but then they voiced interest in going, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. So now we are all going to fly because after our drive to St. George over the weekend, we decided that, you know, adding another six hours onto that with a four-year-old wasn't a good plan. So we immediately started looking for tickets and found some pretty cheap tickets out of Phoenix. So we're all going to fly. Oh, that's good. That sounds like a smart call for sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. We did, however, survive the weekend driving back and forth to St. George where Amy raced a half marathon, which went well. So that was fun. And you did like a million miles of downhill running and can barely walk now, right? Uh, yes, I was kind of running ahead of her and taking some photos and cheering. And I did not realize the course was that downhill. And I wasn't physically or mentally prepared to run downhill and try and leapfrog her for the entire thing. And she actually dropped me by the end because I couldn't keep pace running downhill. <laughs> so uh, good for her and bad for my quads, but. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but I was able to kind of rally and do a little bit of Ben's last workout in Tucson this morning before he caught his flight to Kona, which nice. is, um, what we're going to talk about today. So that was, that was good to get to see him and send him off before he grabbed his flight. I know when I saw him at the pool, I was like, man, what's he still doing here? And, um, yeah, so uh, I, I saw on social media, he had, his flights had gotten canceled. You'd mentioned that it's like, man, how stressful, you know, we always got to be ready to roll with the punches and just handle it, handle it all in stride. And that sometimes doesn't 
just happen race day or the days leading in, but like even before you even leave your hometown, right? So he's, he seemed like he had a pretty good attitude about it. Yeah, totally. He, his, his family had gone out earlier that day and they had taken his bike because it was his parents and his wife and children. So they, they all went with his bike. And so at least his bike is there and his stuff is there. So it's just like his person needs to get there. And he was really good about it. He's like, Oh, I get to do a couple more sessions in Tucson, sleep in my own bed a little longer. And um, yeah, I maintained a really kind of level head. So he seemed in good spirits this morning when he was heading out. So I think, although it was a little bit nerve wracking, um, yeah, he'll, he'll be good to go. Well, we were just talking about that too, that like a race like Kona experience goes a long ways, right? Like we were just having a little conversation about that before we dive into like all the meat and potatoes of, of our thoughts on Kona and, and that kind of stuff. But I mean, just straight out of the gates, I think, you know, when you have experience, not only racing there, but going there for training camps and, you know, spending time there and just going to that race, you're, you can, you can relax a little more and have that kind of attitude. Cause you just know, you know, you know what that, all that hoopla is about when you get there. Did you have some good conversations in the, in the last little while here as you're leading into Kona with, with Ben and, and just your thoughts and and all that stuff? Um, yeah, we've chatted about Kona quite a bit, believe it or not, in the last <laughs> last couple of months uh, in the lead up. And it, kind of fun fact uh, that Torsten threw out there with the ratings is Ben is now the person who's had the most starts and finishes in Kona in the pro field going in this year. It wasn't oh, yeah. Lindsay, but she had, to, she had to pull out, unfortunately, with her stress fracture. So that, mm-hmm. that left Ben to be the old dog and it's it's kind of funny because I feel like it just kind of happened the last like all of a sudden like all of a sudden he's the old man on the totem pole and and so that's um, kind of like a, a mental role reversal for for him and for yeah how he's kind of perceiving the race and but it is true you know he's had more finishes there than anybody else going and that's that's a weird position to be in so he does have kind of the most experience and and yeah we we talked about how he can definitely use that to his advantage as far as knowing like when to put out energy and when not, and when to conserve. And I feel like that's a big thing that a lot of people can get wrong. And when you get that kind of thing wrong in the heat, you don't really get many chances, you know? Yeah. That's the big thing, you know, like Kona is just such a different ball game. Not only everyone can, you know, you can, look at the course, the course profile, and you can understand the heat and the wind and have a a plan for all of that. But one of the biggest factors is just the level of, you know, this going there, it's the world championships, but the level of competition that just creates a dynamic that you either have the experience and the head on your shoulders to handle that really well and race it well and use it to your advantage and know when to go, when not to go, that kind of thing. Or like you just said, you make a mistake and, you know, when you make a mistake on a cooler course or a little bit less competitive race, you can recover from that and do pretty well. But just, you know, uh, one major mistake on a course that's this difficult, this hot and that deep of a field, you know, it's just that's when you see like so many legends come in thinking that they're just going to crush it their first try out because they, you know, they do well at all kinds of other world championships and major races and Ironmans and, 
even Olympics, and then they come into Kona and it's just like, you know, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, it really is. And, and not only do you have like all those factors of, of the field and the heat, but everyone is, you know, two or 3% fitter, right? So everyone is really upping their game. Everyone is riding that line just a little bit, a little bit higher, a little bit harder. And, and so, yeah, you got, you got everyone kind of on the razor's edge and that makes, that makes just the, the margin for error so slim because yeah, you're just going, you're like, well, if I used to ride my Ironmans at 300 Watts in Kona, I'm a little bit fitter. I'm trying 315 and, and everyone is kind of dialing up their game a little bit. So that just, that makes it that much harder. And yeah, it makes mistakes that much bigger. And, and yeah, it will be really interesting with, um, you know, I guess now the people I know in the field are the older people. And then you have all these kind of newcomers that maybe have never raced Kona kind of coming in. It'll be interesting to see how the dynamics play out because it's, um, yeah, it is a very dynamic race. And so you've really got to be ready. And it's not like, it's not like any other race and it's not like racing any of these people at any other points in the season. And so that really changes. Yeah. Like who you think you're racing, they're different athletes right now. And, and that can really make a big difference in how they execute versus how you think they're going to execute, how they execute because there's more people there. And yeah, all those factors can, can play a really big role in how the race unfolds. You think too, like a lot of the ITU athletes that are coming up and crossing over, you know, the swim has always been really important in Kona. I mean, it's really important every race now, but I think even more so in Kona, like it just starts out, you get everybody there starts out so aggressive and so fast and not only just in the pro field, the amateur field too, you know, you get all the different cultures, you get all the Europeans and the South Americans and Aussies and, you know, everyone from the U S and it's just a lot of different cultures and it's the best of everyone together. And that swim is it's important. And I think like the two things, like the approach that the professionals are going to have to take on the swim in order to see how they're like how that, you know, applies to their race and how their race actually plays out versus the amateurs that are there, but both are really aggressive swims compared to other races. Um, I don't know, like, I know for the amateurs, it's, it's tricky because if you're, it's a tough swim, Kona is a really hard swim. I know with my athletes, I prepare them in the water. We swim a lot going into Kona because it's, it is faster. It is more competitive. It is a more aggressive start, but it's a hard swim an ocean swim. It's really salty. It can get pretty wavy out there. And even if it's a calm day out there, when you get further out on that swim course, it's a tougher swim than most of them. So I have my athletes do a lot of swimming going into Kona and being pretty swim fit. And I think they're a good swimmer. They can use the, the amount of good swimmers around them to their advantage to set their day up really well. If they're not as great a swimmer, they're going to have to watch that they don't get carried away in that first, you know, 1K of going out, just getting caught up and going too fast and too aggressive on such a long, hard day and, and tough swim. So really sort of polar opposite of one another, depending on who the swimmer is, but both really both prepared to be really fit and ready for a hard swim, regardless on when I give them advice on that. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it is kind of worst case scenario for those swimmers that go out too hard, because if you get kind of sucked along by a group of swimmers, and then you get dropped off in the middle of the ocean, you're now at the hardest point part, right? You're furthest out in the ocean, the waves are the worst, 
and you just got left there by the group that was pulling you along and you've got to kind of battle the waves by yourself all the way all the way out to the turn and back and so you're yeah that's that's exactly when you don't want to be left so i always would tell people you know it is much better to be a little conservative stay with a pack maybe that feels too easy so that once you get out in that rougher water you know you you have the benefit of being able to be in the pack and then if you feel good you can always like you know pick it up a little bit but but yeah it, it, you don't want to get overcooked and uh, be flopping around out there trying to find your way in the big waves yeah yeah and uh, what the the pro race though pretty different dynamic and approach altogether, right like what would you say on that i mean so yeah it really depends on your what your goal is as a pro racing there but if you like if you look back at St. George where we had a group of four or five guys that broke away on the swim and they stayed away, like everyone is thinking about that being a possibility now in Kona. Whereas, you know, that maybe that would like string people out a little bit, but in general, the group would kind of come together in Kona. Now it's like, Hey, if we can get a group together on the swim and we're willing to work together on the bike, that could be the front group. And, you know, I, I hesitate to talk a lot about specific people because there are so many people, but everyone's looking at the Norwegians right now and you know, they're not amazing. They're really, really good swimmers. I don't, but, but they're not going to be as good as some of the top guys like Josh Amberger. Uh, and so there's, there, I know there's a group of swimmers that are like, Hey, we, we can get a group going, we can get off the front, we can get some time on the Norwegians and we're going to need it. And then potentially if we ride hard, we might be able to keep them away or make them work on the bike. And so I think there's going to be a really big push in the swim but again, like I was talking about Ben being one of the oldest people here, there's not like that Jan who's going to be in a swim group is going to be like, all right, troops, let's do this. It's going to be some guys who've maybe been there a few times and like maybe they'll figure it out or maybe they'll just kind of be battling each other. So yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting how it unfolds, but I think there should be a group of guys that are going to try and get away. And anytime you have that happen, it just makes the swim so hard because they're going to go full gas because they want to drop um, everyone and they want to drop the best people in the world. So the only way to do that is to go absolutely ballistic off the gun. And so that's what they're going to do. And we'll see how many people get away and then what that front group looks like, but that just makes all the groups faster, right? They go ballistic. The next group tries to go and catch them. So they're going ballistic. And then even the back of the group is like, Oh, I want to be there too. So it's going to make it really fast from the start, which is a very interesting way to start an Ironman, right? Like, yeah, right. 1k all out see what happens um yeah yeah and it's like everybody is trying to wrestle for that position to be like on that front start line and get in each other's hip pocket and and jump off the start you know and i think that that's it's so different than any other race because there's so many good swimmers right it's not like just there's two or three great swimmers or, you know, five or something like that, you, you're going to have a, a big crowd. And, and maybe that plays it to some advantage that there's a bigger group to slot in on and get a draft if you're just sort of in that in between instead of just one or two guys, but guys or gals. But, um, you know, so maybe the bigger group is an advantage to, there might be a, a swimmer who's a really good cyclist and runner and just doesn't quite make it normally because there's not enough feet and not enough bodies. And, and in this case, there's more bodies, so maybe they make it, and that could play a different role as well. I do know that um, the, the second, that's, that second half of that bike course, you know, it's, 
it's so fast on that whole first stretch, right? Like that whole entire, once they get out of the swim, they're riding through town, they get out on the Queen K, that it's so fast. And there's a lot of people working together. And that is in the amateur race and the pro race, you know, and it's like, everybody's kind of a rock star in that whole first stretch heading out of town all the way to the end of the Queen K. But it's, and it, and it depends how you handle that, right? Like, do you use, are you using your competition wisely? You know, you're staying legal. Are you pushing a little bit harder to stay with your group? How hard is too hard in the heat for later on? What are, you know, what are the winds like? How hot are you getting? Those kinds of things. And that's, I think across the board, the things that are on everybody's mind, whether you're a pro or an amateur, you know, if you're, you're, you're not used to riding with so many people who are as good as you because you got there because you're one of the best. So there maybe is only a couple, but now it's a huge group and you're all really using each other. And that's like the fastest and easiest part of the whole course is that whole stretch out of the Queen K. It's really like once you turn, start climbing. And I think the hardest part of that bike course is when you come back on the Queen K. Like once you turn back, there's a ton of climbing when you hit that Queen K all the way back up to the hotel. That's, I know there's typically a tailwind later in the day there, but it's still, it's the hottest part of the day. It's if you've made some mistakes where it's caught up on you and you're climbing basically from when you turn onto the Queen K all the way back up to the hotel. So that's, you know, I think that that is the hardest part of, of the bike course. Sorry, I kind of jumped all over the place there, but. No, totally. I agree. And I just, um, I want to rewind a little bit back to that swim because I think it plays into how you're setting yourself up for that bike. And I think how you talked about the, those people that might be able to just jump on the hip of like that slightly faster swimmer and then they get pulled along and they have a really good swim time. Like the question they need to be asking themselves is, is again, like you're talking about the beginning of the bike, like at what cost, you know, if they're not a very efficient swimmer, are they kicking really hard? Are they flailing a lot? Is their heart rate really high, but they are able to do it because they're kind of in the draft. And then maybe they swim two or three minutes faster, but what shape are they in to start the bike? So that's one thing where you do have to be careful because, you know, like you said, there, it is world, world class. And so there are all these people that could potentially pull you along, but kind of being able to check in with yourself and saying like, Hey, is that the right decision for me? Even in the swim, you know, cause you know, you swim for an hour, you can still burn a lot of matches in an hour in the water. So making sure you're kind of staying within yourself and not, and maybe sometimes the right call is to, to back off and not go ballistic because just because you can actually get pulled along, like, and get out of the water two or three minutes faster, is it worth it? And then that's the same question you have to ask yourself on the bike. And what, what I've seen a lot of people forget to do in that first really fast stretch is the most important thing all day. And that's eat and drink, right? You're going really fast. You're surrounded by people. It's kind of intense. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot to take in because again, you probably haven't, unless you've done Kona a bunch of times, you haven't ridden with that many people. And this year, especially, you probably haven't ridden with that many people, right? There are a few more people on course. And so you're going to be around more people than you've ever been around going the same speed, going faster. Um, so again, is it the right call to stay with them? Maybe, maybe not. How much energy are you putting out? And then how much energy are you putting back in your body? Like that is, I think, the most important time to be fueling setting yourself up for the back half of the ride and also setting yourself up for the marathon. And, and so, you know, if you are kind of like going fast on that stretch, that's awesome, but you still need to like, make sure you're taking care of everything. Because like you said, once you get back and you've got a turn, 
you, that's when you hit that hard part of the course and all the things you did up to that, are, that's when it's going to come out. Like, were you eating and drinking enough in order to get there in good shape? Did you ride a little bit too hard? So, so yeah, those are all things I think people really need to think about is staying on top of when it's super exciting and you're going fast and I've done it. Like it's easy to forget and say, Oh, I'll catch up later. But especially out there, you cannot catch up later. Like you need to be staying on top of it. And if you are going a little bit harder because you're trying to stay with people that are just a little bit faster or you're a little bit fitter, you're just pushing a little bit more power. Like that is calories. So you need to be putting in more. Like if you're going to go harder, you need to be putting in more to match that effort. And I think and that's also harder for you to do and you're going to want to do it less, but that is like a really big thing that I see people like not do It's like, well, you know, I've always eaten whatever it is like 250 calories an hour, but I'm going to try and go 50 watts harder now. And it's like, well, you need to like factor that in that's, that's energy. So, um, so yeah, sorry. I feel like I got a little ranty there. No, but, uh, it's really good. No, it's so true. Right. And it's like, also I've seen a lot of people come out of that swim because it is such a tough swim and they're not used to how their stomach feels out of an ocean swim. I mean, that's a, and it's a really salty ocean. So one, make sure you uh, definitely use a lot of lube and like your neck and your crotch and your armpits. Cause you come out of that swim and you will chafe like you've never chafed in any other race before. So that's a little, just like pro tip, make sure you use tons of lube, but because of the intensity of the swim and the start of that ride, and it's a harder swim, like we were talking about, your heart rate might be a little bit higher than normal and it's hot. So now you're going harder, which equals, like you said, you need more fuel, you need more calories. You're likely need more hydrations, definitely salt, all of those things, but you're, you're going harder. So your body's absorbing it less, right? It's It's now harder for your body to, to handle all of that. So it's a good idea to like check in you know, everyone is always, I have my athletes who use like the full gambit of things to monitor themselves, the watts, heart rate, perceived exertion, everything, because it's like the car gauges on your car, like, is your engine overheating? Right. And this is a good race to know that. Like if you are jump out of the swim and in that first 20 minutes need to get your heart rate down and get those fluids on board because you swam really hard and it took a lot out of you, that's going to benefit you later in the day. Right. And make sure that, you know, okay, well, this swim was a higher intensity than what I'm used to. So yes, I probably do need more fluids and calories coming out of it, but is my body beginning to be able to absorb them at this intensity in this heat? Right. So you're probably going to need to back off just a little bit more right when you don't want to, to be able to, to handle that. So really important. I do think it's uh, good to talk about just sort of like moving on from that the descent down from heavy, that descent, everybody knows. I mean, if it's a windy day and they're talking about it being sort of typical winds this year, but you know, it can be anything from, from mild winds to gale force winds, those cutouts, you know, when you're hauling ass down that descent, it's like, it's good, good, good. And where people get taken off guard is pay attention to how windy it is because soon as you go past one of those walls and there's a cutout, in other words, there's no more big rock wall, be prepared. That's when the wind's going to hit you. So <laughs> as you're coming past that, you know, the rock wall is going to end, you should be like a football player ready to brace against something that's going to nail you from the side. I think all the stories of people, if it's a real windy day, getting blown across the road or even blown off their bikes, 
is because they're going pretty quick down that descent and there may be they're not putting a lot of pressure on the pedals perhaps they're upright on their bike so they're a little bit unstable you want to get low you want to realize that as before you come past that rock wall that you start to get ready to get low put some pressure on your pedals and lean into the wind so it doesn't catch you off guard right if it's gonna if something's gonna nail you from the side aggressively off off the water there you you want to get low and put some pressure and lean into it so that you can just keep hauling ass down that descent and then when the rock the next rock wall comes up again you'll feel a little relief from that so really be thinking ahead down that descent and prepared for it you're going to be able to ride a lot faster down that descent safer and faster right i mean just being if it's not windy you won't need to worry about that but if it's if it can be a typical hawaii windy then that's something to not just think about bombing down that descent, but always be planning ahead based on the wind and those cutouts that happen as you go down the descent. Yeah, I think the first time I did Kona, the thing that was the most sore was my shoulders from being nervous on that descent and just gripping my bars like there was no tomorrow. And I also was not heeding your advice and was sitting upright. And it's crazy how when you sit upright and you take weight off that front wheel, how much more twitchy it gets, right? So, I mean, like getting low actually helps you weight that front wheel and actually helps you stay more stable. But yeah, and I, I do, I think that's great advice to kind of be prepared. Like you should know what's coming. So if you can kind of anticipate that and get your body and bike ready for that, instead of being surprised every time, then you will be able to handle that much better. And, um, and like you said, you'll be able to go a lot faster and you'll get that part done and then you won't have to worry about it again. So yeah, I think that that's, that's really great advice. On, on the way down there before you get to the, the, yeah, the back part of the course where you've got to stay, stay pushing, putting pressure on the pedals all the way home, which is another thing I kind of see people do is like, you know, you get to the airport or whatever, and you're like, Hey, coast it in. It's like, well, you still have like 15 miles left. And uh, yeah, you really need to make sure that you kind of stay on the gas and stay down, stay eating and drinking and really you know, maybe you're, you're a little bit under race spots at that point because you're a little bit tired. That's okay. But you've got to kind of make sure you're keeping pressure on the pedals all the way in because you can lose so much time in the last 15, 20 miles of that course by kind of like sitting up and, and yeah, easing up too much. Yeah. And in that section, you know, keep the cooling strategies going, right? You're preparing for the run. So if you need to grab bottles and spray your quads, spray the back of your helmet, that kind of stuff, you know, you see those aid station opportunities to grab cold water and do that, do that right to the end because you're setting yourself up to, for the marathon. And that's the part of the day that it starts to heat up. And <laughs> there's a tail, you know, if there's a tailwind at that point, it's towards the end of the day, then that's going to be, you know, you want to make sure you're already cool as you're, as you're coming in. Fantastic thing in transition in Kona is typically they have those cold towels, you know, so if you sit down in a chair and they offer you one of those cold towels, definitely take it, you know, wrap it around your neck, take it, get some cold, you know, get yourself, your face washed off. That can make a really big difference and just cooling off for a split second in transition. Nice. Yeah. And then um, on to everyone's favorite part, just a little marathon, right? Right. And oh my gosh, that like crowd all in town, you go out like a rock star. It's like the fat, the best 10 K of a marathon <laughs> Ironman ever. Yeah. You just, you're like floating along at 30 seconds 
per mile faster than you ever have in your life and you think you're a rock star, just maybe like a, a lot of patience. Enjoy the crowd and have a lot of fun and get definitely get, uh, you know, you're at the world championships. So get to work right away, but just really be careful. People come out of the gates so hot in town there. So really, really good patience check through that whole first section in town. Yeah, again, especially given that it's going to be a hot marathon, uh, you can you can 100% blow your race that first 10K. And it is so easy because like Marilyn's saying, it's you are so pumped and there is so many people. It's super exciting. But yeah, I mean, if it is a good time to practice sticking to your pace and really harnessing all that energy because when you get out to the turnaround and there is no one there and you've been by yourself for who knows how long, you're going to just hold on to some of those cheers in your mind because that's, uh, yeah, that's when you're going to need to stay on the gas pedal a bit. Yeah. And that's probably where experience comes into play too, is that there's no, you know, there's no spectators allowed out way out there in the queen K in the um, energy lab. At least there usually isn't. I don't know if they've changed that or not, but typically there's you're, no one's allowed out there. So once you're out there in the hardest part of the course, you really are out there with your, your fellow competitors and in your own mind. So hopefully you've done a good job of staying cool, continuing to fuel, understanding your pacing, get up out there on the queen K. I think you know, if you can run that section once you're on the Queen K from like the start of the Queen K all the way down to the energy lab with a, a lot of you're really on task for your pace, you know, like you're not you're not holding back anymore, but you're not, you know, you're you're just staying really, really on task because the it's nobody's going to negative split the back half. Right. So we're we're going to be patient in that first 10K when it's super exciting. We'll get up the hill and go out in the Queen K. And that section when you're out on that highway down to the energy lab, if you're do a really good job of, of you know, fueling, racing well, staying on task, I think you can do a really great job there to set yourself up to come home and finish strong. But you don't need to be you know, you are in Hawaii, so you don't need to be backed off there. You know, that's, we're not going to negative split coming home. So run really strong there, like make that like a really strong part of your day. And then, you know, when you turn around and come up out of the energy lab, that's when, you know, people start mentally cracking and falling apart and all of that. So if you've just set yourself up to really be strong all the way up out of the energy lab, once you turn back up on the queen K you're only like 10 K from home. So you can, you can think in your mind, like, okay, I'm like 10 K from home now. So, so it's, you know, that's, that's where like the grit and the mental energy all comes in. Like how, how well did I look after myself all day? And then just, you know, what do I have left to come to come home with in that last 10 K? And yeah, speaking of that, that does remind me that they did, cut back on the number number of aid stations on the bike and the run this year. It's like a mile and a half between aid stations on the run. Right. And yeah, they took a few out of the bike course as well. So it's, it's easy to get used to the Ironman having as much aid stations as you want, almost too many, but when it's hot, like it's going to be, um, even on, especially on the bike where you can think like, Oh, I'm going fast. I'll just get to the next one. It's going to be really important to slow down do what you need to do. Take care of yourself. Take that extra 30 seconds minute to make sure you're getting, like you're talking about spraying yourself off with water, getting as much water and as much fuel as you need. And then same thing on the run. Like I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of walking aid stations because I 
it's hard to reaccelerate or can be. But I think that it is going to be really important, especially if it is a super hot day, to really take advantage of the aid stations that are there. And if that means, you know, you need to slow down, like, and even if it means you need to walk, I'd say do what you need to do to really, again, set yourself up for it to have, be able to run that last 10K. And, and yeah, I think it is good to, to note that, like, if you're used to aid stations every mile, this is going to be a little bit different. And so you need to have a strategy that is like set up for having aid stations every mile and a half. Yeah. I actually have like a, one of my athletes is taking extra flasks uh, along for the ride, just so, you know, the option is there to have fluids if needed in between. And uh, another athlete that really is a heavy sweater and, and needs the, the fluids available whenever they need, they run with actually a hydration uh, vest. So even though that might be a little warmer, they're used to running in the heat with it. And they, you know, they know that, okay, I need to be able to have as much fluids as I want when I want. So be confident in what you practice and what you know works best for you. Don't get caught up in, oh, I'm in Hawaii and what everybody else is doing and think that, you know, the plan that's always worked for you, you're just going to suddenly toss it aside at the biggest show. Like if you know that running with a hydration vest works for you, you don't overheat, you need those amount of fluids then do it, you know, don't toss that away here, have confidence in what you have practiced and you know, works best for you. So, you know, those kinds of things are important when you get there to not get caught up in, you know, what's everybody else doing. The, the one thing to, to note too, just sort of now they're little, I like adding these little pro tips as we go is I know that they always make you run on the inside of those pylons and that last 10 K up on the queen K and there's quite an aggressive camber in the road and that late in the marathon, that can be quite uncomfortable. If you're like on the verge of your calves cramping or quads or all those little things that happen right in the last 10 K of a marathon in an Ironman, just pay attention to where you're running and sometimes being as close to those pylons as possible. It's a little bit flatter road and it will allow you to not get, you know, quite as beat up at that stage in the marathon, which then will allow you to run, you know, a good pace, that whole final 10 K versus if you're fighting off a cramp, the whole last 10 K cause you're too much on the camber into the shoulder there. So something to just pay attention to as well. Awesome. I like it. Um, you'd mentioned you, you kind of lean into the swim training. Is there anything else you do or you did specifically for like, uh, for your crew that's racing? I mean, every athlete is different. I'm sure you're the same, right? You know, like every athlete has a different season in their legs going into this race. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time since we've been in Hawaii with COVID and all of that. So each one of them their prep was considerably different. In fact, you know, even with the swim prep piece of it, one of the athletes that I have there is quite a good swimmer. So I just have that athlete do their normal master swimming. And we made sure that they did like a lot more threshold swimming, like that, that, that was a focus If okay. If you're going to be in your master swims, make sure you're doing like touch and go, go threshold and you swim pretty hard, but we didn't change their swimming that much. Um, and then other athletes, I did like a significant amount, amount more swimming and harder swimming for them to be prepared. So I would say, um, aside from that, you know, it's, it really is different for each one of them. It's just like, so different for each. I have four athletes there racing I had five qualify four that went, 
Um, and each one of their training looked honestly so different from one another. But like anytime you go to Hawaii, you do need to have just an enormous amount of endurance because it's such a difficult day in terms of the heat and, and just the level of racing. So that's like a staple, you know, that's just, I mean, and that's Ironman racing too. So um, I, I guess across the board, having that really, really good amount of volume in, in their bodies is, is important going in. If I had to put a paintbrush across all four athletes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nearly um, impossible to do. That's kind of what I was going to say too. We ended up kind of leaning into the, the bike a little bit more and that's just kind of the way that like the way it went as far as like injuries and timing and setup, but yeah, put a little bit more emphasis on the bike. And I think that basically if, you know, the fitter you are, the easier it is to overcome all these obstacles, right? It's like, you know, if, if it's hotter, but you're fitter, you just ride a little bit less power, like you can kind of overcome that. Right. So any, a lot of these gaps can be filled in by being a little bit more fit. And, and yeah, that's uh, it's not, not always an easier way to go, but, but I think it's definitely, you know, um, it can definitely be that, that, that paintbrush of, Hey, if you have more endurance, then you'll, you'll probably be a little bit better off rather than not. Yeah. And a few of my athletes have quite a few races in their legs already at this point in the season. You know, they did a lot of, a lot of Ironman racing already, you know, one of them hasn't, but a few of them have already, you know, two of them, three of them were at the St. George world championships before going to this one. So they've already got a lot of, you know, a lot of training and racing in their legs all year, you know, and that, that, that says a lot in terms of how you're going to send people into a race like this. Like you want them to be fit and you want them to be strong, but you definitely don't want them to be too tired. So that that's a factor as well. Like how much fitness are we carrying from the whole year's worth of racing and training and make sure that that just comes around that we're not, you know, we carry that, but we're not just a little bit too tired as well. So, so really, really different for all of them for sure. Yeah. And that is a, another good point to make on the, the kind of staying fresh for the race, which, you know, you do your normal taper, but then if you fly to Hawaii, you change time zones, you're in this hot environment, there's so much going on that you want to kind of take part in. It's, I definitely, I prefer people to go a little bit more fresh than usual because of that and be just be, have a little bit more sleep and, you know, just maybe a slightly longer taper than maybe they would do because, you know, it is the end of the season and most people have done a fair amount of racing already. And, and so, yeah, just making sure, and this is kind of like what a recommended recommendation I would make to everyone. is just like, if, if you're questioning a session right now and you're whatever it is, four days out, like probably just don't do it, you know, like put your feet up, eat a little bit more food and, and just rest a little bit because yeah, you're not going to change your fitness in, in the last few days here. And you've probably already raced maybe an Ironman already, maybe two Ironmans already. And at least, at least a few 70.3. So like, you know, you've done a few build cycles and you're, you're probably in a good spot. And the only thing you can do by pushing it, you know, the last 10 days is just get a little bit more tired and, um, and take away from your race instead of add to it. Yeah. And this last, the last few days and week into Kona here, the, the, 
you know, last piece of advice I'll give people is you touched on it a bit. There is there's so much to do when you get there. You're seeing yeah. all these friends from all over the world that you haven't seen in ages. It's tri mecca, so it's like super fun. You're excited. It's easy to get caught up just standing around in the crowds. Even like it takes longer to go to the grocery store. You go down to do your swim, and you thought it might take you. 30 minutes and like two hours later, you're still standing around and you don't have a water bottle with you. You haven't eaten anything. You've been standing out in the sun. So like make sure that you spend your, you plan well and you have the ability to get out of there when you need to. And just pay attention, like always have a water bottle with you, always have snacks with you, get off your legs, get into the air conditioning. You're not going to you're not going to prepare yourself better for the heat by being out in the heat too much these last two days. The best thing you can do is get out, do your training in the heat and then get into air conditioning, you know, make sure that you're staying on top of your fluids and, and your food and all of that and get your legs up and, and just really replenish your body to be prepared to go out there and, and be in a really, really hard conditions for a whole day. And that's going to be particular, you know, this is such a different dynamic where the people who are racing on Saturday, if they've got people racing that they want to cheer on on Thursday, man, you're going to have to be so careful because watching an Ironman all day kicks the crap out of you, right? And so you're going to have to have a conversation with your person that you're there to support if you're racing as well on Saturday and say like, hey, look, like I can, you know, if you're getting up with them at 3.30 in the morning or three in the morning, and then you're down there all morning at the swim start and you're watching out on the bike or cheering on the marathon, like you just watched Amy do a half and you're like, man, I'm wrecked. You know, so like make sure that you're taking these things into consideration and having good conversations with each other about, hey, I'll be able to support. I'm not going to be able to support the people who race on Thursday and then they watch their partners or friends on Saturday are going to have the best time of their life because they're going to be watching an Ironman. They're going to be totally done. They're all going to be probably drinking margaritas watching the race. But um, if you're in the reverse role, make sure you're really looking after yourself and definitely for everyone on the island, you know, everyone's lean and fit and ready. And there's tons of people flying in from all over the world. So look after yourself and kind of, you know, take good care of your, just your, your, your normal essentials and don't get caught up too much out there for too long. Yeah. And I'll just kind of add one thing on top of that is that it does, you know, the, the vibe is that there's going to be more people there than ever this year. And so just kind of try and be willing to roll the punches. And, you know, if you're getting stressed out about things that are out of your control before the race, that's just kind of more stress on your plate that you don't need to deal with. So if the grocery store line is long or there's no bananas or you can't find a parking spot, so you can't get whatever in that day, or you have to wait for a lane at the pool, you know, there, there's going to be some, a little bit more traffic there and in all fronts. So I would just be pretty, pretty relaxed and pretty willing to roll with whatever situation may, might come your way and, you know, try and be respectful to the people that are live there and trying to go about their day, even though, you know, you're there for a really important event for you, like they still should be able to participate in their life. So try and be, be calm and respectful of everyone around you and just be prepared for there to be a lot of people there. And, you know, like I said, like, if that means you need to change your routine or something just a little bit, then try and try and be loose and relaxed and willing to, uh, to be okay with that. Totally. 
Cool. Well, this is a fun conversation. It's going to be exciting to watch how it all plays out. And um, yeah, thanks for the conversation, Jesse. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. I'm excited to watch. Um, if you're in Tucson, there's a watch party at Tucson Endurance. So uh, if you're not, then sorry. <laughs> Very cool. All right. All right thanks. Cheers.